Hello Life Changes Church, welcome to our YouTube channel. We have got an amazing word prepared for you, so why don't you take out your notebook and your pen as we get ready to listen to what God has for us. My name is Gabe Phillips, I'm married to a beautiful lady called Fiona, and uh, we've got two incredible little munchkins, a six-year-old called Olivia and an four, almost four-year-old called Benji. And uh, one of my highlights of the everyday routine in the Phillips family is the, the, the nighttime routine. And what, what happens is after bath, we, we get all the four of us into bed, and, uh, and we get, I get to read a Bible story to the kids, and uh, I read a, a short story, and then we pray. And we go around uh, the, the, the circle, and we say each of us has to take a moment to pray. And uh, let me tell you, Olivia, our, our six-year-old, is a budding revivalist. So when she starts to pray, oh, she's calling down heaven on earth, people. It's amazing. It almost feels like you've got the, the keyboard playing in the background as she speaks. She's, she is quoting scripture. She's declaring God's goodness, his character. Um, once, I, I, I kid you not, she was on such a roll that my wife actually lifted her hand and gave her life to the Lord. I mean, it was incredible. That's how good the prayer was. But Benji, on the other hand, when, when it gets to him, he, he, this man has not really grappled with the depth of theology yet, but uh, let me tell you, he loves the limelight. Just like his father, when he knows it's his mode to pray, he takes the dummy out and he just chucks it. Anyway, he'll do. And he's got a wide gl eye glisten in his eye and he's ready to go. And he's, the first thing, without fail, is he says, thank you for your cross. Thank you for your blood. And then you can see he's done with his theology. <laughs> he scraped the barrel. But he doesn't want to give up the moment yet. He doesn't want to hand it over to one of us to pray. So he starts making up words. He starts praying down this, this tangent, this thing. His sister starts to giggle, and that's just, that's just petrol for, the, for him just to go. He's like, I've got one. I've got one. I'm going to keep going. And we are trying to be, okay, enough, enough Benji. And like, he's, just, he's literally making up words. We think, wow, he's charismatic, praying in tongues. No, no, it's just Benji waxing lyrical. And, and sometimes I despair. Firstly, can we all be trusting for Benji's salvation? I think he's a long way off, people. It's, um, <laughs> But what does preschool teachers tell me? I think he's a long way off. But God can work miracles. But also, when, when as, a, as a dad who has the privilege of stumblingly trying to disciple these two little lives and trying to get it right and put line upon line, precept upon precept, and, and, and trying to convey God's heart for them, the, the, the ancient truths that I want to deposit in their hearts so that they would, they would walk in the ways of the Lord. I'm trying to do this. And, and often I, I hear him pray and I'm like, if I'm honest, I'm a bit despondent. I'm like, oh God, we've got a long way to go. And, then, and how am I going to deposit all the, the ancient truths? How am I going to put the whole counsel of God in this little guy's life? And, and, and how are we going to do that? And it just feels like, it's like he's just got a simplistic understanding of God. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your blood. Amen. And often I think that about the church. That actually the church often... Think, I have the privilege of preaching here on a Sunday with other guys that part of the team and, and across our congregations. And I often feel those 30 minutes, this seems so f fragile. It feels so quick. And, and it feels like fleeting moments that we want to put the deep things of God in our hearts. But it feels like a lot of the time, we feel like, what are we actually doing? Are we, are we, do we have enough time together? Are we building something profound? And, uh, and, and sometimes I just feel all, all we really have got is thank you for your cross. Thank you for your blood. And I know God wants to take us on a maturing, deeper journey, but I also want to remind us that the maturing, deeper journey is actually not getting in, getting deeper doctrine and getting cleverer and more esoteric in our language, but rather it's actually becoming more and more convinced of, thank you for your cross, thank you for your blood. And I'm praying this morning that this will be a simple yet profound morning that will, will be an anchor point for our souls in the winds and the waves in the moments of temptation and despair that God would hold us because of the revelation that I believe he wants to put in our hearts today. Billy Graham once said, he said, if I had my whole life to do over again, 
He said, I would preach nothing but the blood of Jesus. And I want to do nothing but preach the blood of Jesus to you and I today, to our hearts that need to hear this. Because Ephesians 1 verse 7, we have one verse and one verse only, people. And it's on the screen behind me, but it says this. In Him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins through His blood. It doesn't say, in our obedience, we have redemption. Nor does it say in our works or our righteousness. It doesn't say in our, in our attempts at power, in our, in our climbing the corporate ladder, in our having worked it all out, getting it all figured out, getting our family in line. Then we have, no, it says in Him we have redemption. In Christ, in Christ alone, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins through His blood. And right there, in that one verse, we have two parentheses. We have in Him and we have through His blood. And our, and our life is found hemmed in by that fact. It's in Him through His blood. And actually, if you pull that narrative out, that scripture is so profound because right there is the parentheses of the whole width and breadth of scripture. So much so the bookends of scripture, the thing holding the whole text together, our whole faith together, is underpinned by this reality that before the creation of the world, the Bible tells us that Christ, the Lamb, was slain before those very foundations were laid. Scripture says that, that before you and I even sinned, before we even came onto the planet, that Christ's death on the cross was not in response to our sin, but it was always in the heart of God to exalt Christ as the lamb upon this cross. He was slain before the foundations of the earth. The blood was in place. And the very other side of the whole uh, story in the book of Revelation says it culminates, this whole thing will culminate with us attending the wedding supper of the lamb. And we will overcome by the word of our testimony and the blood of that lamb. On this side, holding the whole story together is the blood. On that side is the blood. And right in the middle is a cross slammed into a skull called Golgotha as God became a man. And before our very eyes, he was crucified right in the present reality. And he was pulling that end to himself and that end and saying, the whole thing has always been and always will be about my blood. So much so that every page of the text is not reminding us of a different way or a different path. It's reminding us one thing. Every story, whether explicitly or veiled, is shouting, it's the blood! And it's seeping through every single page. And I want to help us anchor our hearts to that reality today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your people. I thank you for your spirit that's here working amongst us today. I thank you, Jesus, for your blood. Your earth-shattering your sin-destroying, your God-glorifying blood that speaks a better word. Your blood that speaks a better word for us on our behalf when the enemy's voice is loud, when the accuser wants to remind us of our shame, our sin, our disgrace, when the accuser wants to remind us where we've fallen short, how, how far we have left to go, where we have embarrassed ourselves. I thank you, God, right now, would we hear the blood that speaks a better word. Today, we echo these simplistic and yet profound words. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your blood. And I put it deep in our hearts that we will be irrevocably changed forever. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to take you on a, a journey this morning through Scripture. That, and these are anchor points for me and how I've, I read the text. And I'd, I'd love you to take notes. I'd love you to remind yourself of these Scriptures and go and let these become deep, deep revelation for you. The first one is found in Genesis 22. Can you say Genesis 22 with me? Genesis 22. It's our first uh, stop on this voyage. 
we get a character named Abraham, and uh, he's married to a lady, Sarah, and they have been unable to fall pregnant, and yet they've been received this promise from God that they will have as numerous children as the stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. But not just in, in, in number, but in actually in, in profound ability. He says, from your seed, there'll come the blessing for all nations. And they've held on to this promise, but it's never been uh, taken place in front of their eyes. They've never seen this come to pass, but they've trusted and trusted. And they're pressing on a hundred. And the book of Romans says that Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead. And yet they continued to believe. And then God, who was faithful and true to his promise, gave them the blessing. Their son Isaac, the son of promise. But what follows hard on his heels is this narrative in chapter 22 where, 22 where God says, Abraham, I want to make sure that you trust me and not just what, what I give you from my hands, but actually trust my heart. He says, I want you to take this son of promise, Isaac. I want you to go up the mountain that I will show you and I want you to sacrifice him there. Wow. As I'm reading scripture as a dad, that, that is a tough story. And I, how do I make sense of it? What am I doing with this narrative? What, try and work out who God is and how he's relating with us as a people. But an incredible reality is Abraham responds in obedience. And he takes his boy up this mountain and his boy is asking him the whole, whole way up, Dad, what are we going to do? We're going to give a sacrifice to God, boy. And the son says, where, where is the sacrifice? To which Abraham says, the Lord will provide. And as they got up on the hill, and he binds his son to the altar. And he's about to kill his son in obedience to God. To say, God, I trust you. Not just as the one who, who can give me the promise. But I know that you'll raise this boy back to life. Because you are the one. You are the one. I don't trust the fruit. I trust you, the root, the giver. And as he's about to do this moment, God's voice booms out and says, Abraham, stop. And at that junction, I thank God that Abraham was a man familiar with God's voice. Thank you, Jesus. And as he stops... The voice of the Lord continues and says, Abraham, take your boy off that altar. There's a ram caught in the thicket that will take his place. And in that moment, as the Lord says, on the mountain of the Lord, it is provided for you. We see the first glimpse of the doctrine of substitution. And substitution means that one man gets to go free in place of the lamb that takes his place. And in that story, Genesis 22, Genesis 22 we see this narrative of there's one lamb that substitutes one man. And this is an incredible thought process that we start to follow and meander through Scripture. We get to a place in Exodus chapter 12. Say Exodus 12 with me. You guys are doing so well. Balcony people, catch up, catch up. Exodus 12. And Exodus 12 is now this narrative has gone on. It's 430 years the people have been in slavery under the oppressive rule of Egyptian rule and regime. And God sends a deliverer called Moses to come and appeal on the people's behalf for their freedom. And, and Moses comes to, to Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says to Mo, no. The words did not seem to loosen the grip of Pharaoh's hand. So then God shows off his might by giving plague after plague after plague that really attacks at the heart of the Egyptian economy and, and source of hope and trust and right, trying to dismantle their grip around the people. But with, with every single bit of uh, power that was released, and it, was, it literally, as Queen would say, it was thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. It was real taking place, and the people knew God was at work on their behalf. But what seemed to, you think, would loosen Pharaoh's grip over the people became a tighter and tighter vice-like grip, and Pharaoh said, no, 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 I will not let them go. And it came to a crescendo in Exodus chapter 12, when God said, actually, it's never going to be, the deliverance will never come through your words, nor through a source of power. It will always only come through one thing. 
So God shows us in Exodus chapter 12, he says to the people, he says, Moses, tell each family to take a lamb, kill it, eat it. And then to that night, I want you to take the blood of that lamb and paint it on the door frames of your home. Because tonight, the final plague is coming. The angel of the Lord is going to pass over every home. And every home that is not marked with the blood in obedience to me, the firstborn males will be struck down dead. Now, can you imagine getting these instructions as Israelites? They've seen the first nine plagues. They've seen God's mighty hand at work. And now they hear Moses saying, this is, he's going to kill all the firstborn males unless you do the blood. If I'm the families there, I'm going, Moses, please, I know that you, you seem to have a direct line to God, but please go back and just check if there's no T's and C's. Like, we want to read the fine print here. Like, the blood and what else? Is there, do we need to say a prayer? Do we need to sing a song? Do we need to give an offering? Do we need, do we need to sign up for some pyramid scheme? We're in, whatever. Just, just let us know. Let us know what do we need to do. And, and Moses says, no, it, it's just the blood. It's just the blood. So that night, as the families put, paint the blood there and gather the family, and no, 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 you, you can't go outside. No, come, come, come. They hang out there, and the night goes dark, and then they hear the whisper of, over the, the, the valley as the angel of the Lord goes over home after home, and Egyptian home after Egyptian home that does not have the blood, and firstborn male after firstborn male is struck down dead. And they hear cries screaming up the valley, No, my boy! And the angel of the Lord comes closer and closer to their home. And they're crouching, quivering with fear, holding on to their little firstborn children, going, please, God, may the blood be enough. Please, may it be enough. Please. And the angel of the Lord comes, sees the blood, and then passes over. And we realize that that story, at that moment, deliverance comes to people. After 430 years, deliverance comes not by their words, not by the power, not by their might or obedience, but only because of the blood. A nation is set free. You see, in Genesis 22, it's one lamb for one man. In Exodus chapter 12, it's one lamb for one family. We go to the third point of Scripture in Leviticus 16. Say Leviticus 16. Now I know some of you are like Leviticus, Leviticus. What do we do with Leviticus? You know, it's that, it's that book that you go one, two, skip it through, 99 numbers. Let's go. Let's keep moving on. Well, let me tell you, the, the book of Leviticus is a profound book when you understand it correctly. It's building up a, as a crescendo and then and from both sides of the, the book into this mountaintop experience in chapter 16. Chapter 16 is the hinge point that holds that whole book together. Why? Because it's reminding us and telling us about the Day of Atonement. Now this is the people who have been set free from Egypt and they're now in the wilderness and they're trying to realize, we are, yes, we've been set free, but we are a grumbling, disobedient, uh, spiteful, arrogant people who need the forgiveness of God for ourselves. And they realize, God says, listen, it's not going to be in any other mechanism. It's always been and always will be my blood. So he says, I want you to do once a year, the high priest will take a lamb for the sake of the whole nation. The whole nation will stand outside the, the, the tabernacle watching and the high priest will preside over the ceremony, will kill the lamb, take that blood into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice it to God. And in that moment, the nation's sins will be absolved for the past year and the year to come. This incredible thought process because we suddenly see in Genesis 22, one lamb for one man. Exodus 12, one lamb for one family. Leviticus 16, we see one lamb for one nation. This is the mechanism of Scripture and how it works. And then we get to John chapter 1. And John the Baptist is on the scene. 
And he's preaching a message. Prepare the way for the kingdom of God. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's baptizing people in the river Jordan. And crowds are gathering around. They're enamored with him. As this is a man of eloquence, a man of power. There's something about this man. And, and as he's baptizing people in the river, people are coming out in force. And then John looks up one day and he sees his cousin Jesus starting to walk to the river. And John has seen his cousin for years, Jesus. Yeah, I know Jesus, Mary's son. Yeah, Mary, Elizabeth, they, 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 yeah, relations. We've seen him at, at, at parties. We've seen him moments. We've even had discussions. He's my cousin. But on this one day, you see Jesus walking through the crowd. All of a sudden, John's vision becomes clear. In that moment, as he sees, he doesn't see his cousin walking upon him. All of the, the scriptures, all of what he's called, been called to do, been called to be the bridegroom, prepares the way. Isaiah 40, all the scriptures that prophesy about this moment, coming in line as everything from the old to the new starts to collide in his vision. And he doesn't see his cousin. He says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We see Genesis 22, substitution, one lamb for one man. Exodus 12, a source of deliverance, one lamb for one family. Leviticus 16, our ability of atonement, of our sins to be washed away, one lamb for one nation. But then we see all of it culminate and collide in one person, one lamb for the sins of the world, Jesus Christ. And this is the very heartbeat of Scripture that we start, as we start to follow. We realize that nothing is by coincidence, that there's a divine orchestrator behind the scenes reminding us that's always been and always will be about the blood. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your blood. Because this mechanism of, of sheep, raising sheep for slaughter was, was deep in the people. And this is what they did once a year. It became an economic uh, place of, of, of wealth and power with you to raise the lambs and, and they raise them for slaughter, raise them for Passover meals. So much so that even at the temple had a gate called the sheep gate because there were so many sheep. And there was a little town called Bethlehem that was set aside to be the place that would raise the lambs, not for the meals, not just for uh, economic reasons, not just to feed families, but to, the town called Bethlehem would be, would be to raise the sheep that were to go to Jerusalem once a year, and out of those sheep would come the lambs that would be used for sacrifice in the temple. And so much so that they would bring those lambs and it was like, it was like a glorified, every year I can imagine a glorified session of idols or the voice, you know, where people go, oh, I hope my lamb gets chosen. Ooh, here we go. Like, like it's Bethlehem's got lambs, you know, Bethlehem's got talent. Anyway, sorry, scrap that one. Um, sounded much better in my head. But anyway, they came and they bought the lambs and they all come in and they're jostling, which, which lamb is going to be chosen? And the, the, the tradition would say, they would come and they'll find the lamb. And they would go through a weeding out process. No, that one, sorry, got blemished. No, that one's got spots. No, that one's not, no, that one's got a gammy leg. No, no, no. Until they start shortlist the ones that were like, were the ones that were going to be used for the, the atonement sacrifice. And they said that the lambs would go from house to house with inspection. From the low level priests who would weed out, no, 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 cool, these ones to the next level, to the higher level priests, until you get to the high priest who would have to decide, okay, we're going with these ones. This, these are the lambs that we're going to go with. And, and, this, and get, this is the incredible thought, is that when we see the man named Jesus Christ, he was born in a town called Bethlehem. And Scripture tells us that he was born not just by chance, but he was born to die. Isaiah says, like a lamb led to the slaughter, he remained silent, but he had set his eyes like flint on Jerusalem, raised in Bethlehem, but with his eyes set on the temple in Jerusalem, going, I'm going for sacrifice. And when he arrived in that, that fateful week, Scripture says that he went from house to to house being examined. On Good Friday, the priest looked at him and they handed him over to Herod. Herod examined him and Herod handed him over to Pilate till Pilate got to this moment presiding over him. And what is so, so, so profound is in Isaiah 59, there's this one time in scripture that says, God searched for the perfect man. That phrase, the perfect man. 
says, and God could not find one. Isaiah 59. The perfect man. The only other time that phrase, the perfect man, appears in Scripture is when Pilate stands up and says, Behold, the perfect man, I find no fault in him. A pure, spotless, blemish-free lamb had been found. And in that moment, he stands there and says, Today, with the crowd baying for Jesus' blood, says, I can either release the innocent, perfect one, Jesus, or I can leave, uh, release to you Barabbas, this condemned murderer. Which one would you want? And what is so, so interesting to take note of is Jesus, the son of the father, Barabbas, his name, Bar-Abbas, literally means son of the father. Bar is the root word for son, Bartimaeus, Bartholomew, Bar, and Abbas is father. So right that day, there was two sons of the fathers. Which one is going to be set free? And in that moment, we see another glimpse of substitution, where one man who was condemned to die got to step off the altar as the lamb took his place. And the people cried out this, this in vengeance with their anger, with their, with their vileness. The crowd yelled out, give us Barabbas. And Pilate says, but there's no fault in this guy. I wash my hands of this. And the crowd says, let his blood fall on us and our children. And what is meant to be their vengeance was actually God's redemptive plan for them. My blood will fall on you and your children because it's always been about my blood. It'll always be about my blood. Thank you for your cross. Thank you for your blood. But what I find so fascinating is as Jesus is being led to the slaughter, a lamb hanging on the cross, as this is starting to take place, the day of atonement, the religious sphere was still carrying on unabated. The lambs were coming, selection, we'll take this one. The people were preparing the meals, as business as usual for the people. The lamb slain for the sins of the world was about to die, but they carried on, heads down, going for it. But what is, we're told in, in the extra rabbinical writings in the Talmud, we're told that actually there was this principle. What would happen is the high priest would come, there'll be two lambs, and at this, at this, this the ceremony, the first lamb was called the scapegoat, where we get our English word scapegoat, the one who takes the fall uh, for, the, the, for the many. And uh, what they'll do is they'll, here, the priest would lay his hands on, the, on, on the, the scapegoat and it would imbue the sins of the people for the past year and the future year into this lamb. Then they, what they'll do is they'll drive that lamb out into the wilderness. But before they did that, they'll kill the first lamb, the, the blemish-free lamb, and they'll take that blood and they'll dip a yarn, a white yarn, into that blood so it'll become red. They'll tie that yarn representing the sins of the people around the scapegoat and then drive that scapegoat into the Kidron Valley, east, as far east, symbolic of the wilderness, driving the, that, 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 that lamb, that sacrificial lamb, into the wilderness. And somebody would have to follow that lamb all the way in the wilderness and follow it for one, two, three days, and they would have to watch it and make sure that it would die of natural causes. And when that sheep would die... They'll go and take, to prove it, they'll take the yarn, the scarlet yarn around the snake, bring it back, and bring it back to the high priest. The high priest in this time, they're taking the other lamb and gone as far west as you can go. In, this, in the temple is the Holy of Holies, which is set up as far west in the temple mount, in the, in, the, in, the, in the temple as you can go. And in that moment, in that, in that incredible symbolic gesture, as they came back with the thread, the, the, what would happen was the thread would somehow turn back from scarlet, would go back to white. And when it did this, the high priest would see that, and he, he had some, uh, the power to then, on, on behalf of the people to stand up and say, our sins have been atoned for, and he'll say these words, it is finished. For the year, it is done. And the people cheer and move on with their lives because the sacrifice has been received. 
But the Talmud tells us that this whole spiel of the thing going from red, scarlet going back to white stopped happening 40 years before the second destruction of the, the temple in AD 70. It stopped happening. Now, I'm no mathemat- mathematician, people. But seven, thank you, I had one amen. But AD 70 was when the temple fell. And the writers say for the, about 40 years before that, that yarn stopped turning back to white. They blamed environmental factors. They blamed this and that. They came up with all excuses. But I want to tell you, 40 years, 40 minus 70 is around plus minus 80, 30, when there was a lamb that was slain. And I believe as Jesus Christ died on the cross, the Father says no other sacrifice will ever be enough. And here is what I love about the good news of Jesus. Is as that one scapegoat goes that way, as far east as they could go. As this lamb went as far west into the temple as we can go. The psalmist writes, as far as the east is from the west, I have removed your sins from you. And as that scarlet thread came back and turned to white, let me tell you, not just once a year, the high priest of heaven declares like the scriptures do over you and I, though our sins are scarlet, we have been washed white as snow. Let me tell you, it always has been, it always will be about the blood of Jesus. It's pouring out of every page and it's pouring out into your life and my life now and it's knocking on every single door of our hearts that wants to go, no, but I need another plan. No, but I've fallen too short. The shame, I need need to do snakes and ladders. I need to rebuild my own story and pull everything back to myself. The gospel of Jesus Christ declares again and again, the blood is enough. And I want to remind our hearts, our fickle, fragile hearts, that in the moments that where you feel that you're hemmed in from every side and you feel the pressure is coming from your bosses, the pressure is coming from economics, the pressure is coming from your addiction, the pressure is coming from your fear, the pressure is coming from your relationship failure and don't know where to turn. Let me tell you, here's the great news. Though you press hard pressed on every side, let me tell you what is surrounding you and I on both sides is the fact that the Lamb of God was slain before your sin, before that disqualification, before that betrayal. His blood goes before you. And when it's all overcome, when it's finished and done, His blood stands there as the victory one for us. Not not your ability to do it, but to overcome by the blood of the Lamb. On your left and right is the blood of the Lamb that's seeping into every page, every corner of our story. And Jesus says, will you let me in? Because right here is the source of eternal power. Right here is the breaking of heaven meeting earth. Right here is where Islam comes crumbling down. Right here is where, where Buddhism comes crumbling down. Right here is where every man-made religion attempt to get to God fails. Because here's the great truth. God came to you and he said, my blood is enough. In Him, in Christ Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins, only, always, through His blood. Can we stand to our feet, please? I believe today is a day for our sin to be absolved. That sin, that guilt, that shame that you've carried around your neck that scarlet thread around your neck that you are so ashamed of, embarrassed of, you've tried to cover it up, you've tried to hide it, that stain that seeps so deep into your soul, that maybe on the veneer of outside, I'm all good, but deep down, that thing that holds you in the night, that holds you and you think that just keeps you from the promises of God, it keeps you from walking in the favor of God, let me tell you, that space that no counselor can get to, that no psychologist can get to, that no amount of grief counseling can get you. That moment when your world collapses, you say, what else can I do? That space, the Bible instructs us, is a space for the launderer's soap. 
the place where only the launderer himself can go. And he does not wash with, with things made of man or our, our own chemicals, our own ability. He washes with the blood of Jesus. And it's only that thing. The scriptures tell us that cleanses us even of a guilty conscience. When we feel we've, we can't, I, I can't do anymore. I, I feel like I'm out of words. Good. When you say I'm out of strength. Good. Come to the blood of Jesus. Breaks the back of sin. It breaks the back of shame. It breaks the back of rejection. It breaks the back of your fear. It breaks the back of the enemy's power. It breaks the back of the demonic stronghold on your life. It is the gateway. It is the finished post. It is everything. It's the blood of Jesus. And it's that goodness that is hounding after you and I. And it's knocking at the doorpost of your heart now and say, will you let me in? And I want to lead us to this moment that I think in response, we as a people get to paint the doorposts of our hearts with the blood. We get to paint the doorposts of our children's future with the blood. Because right now, the enemy is waging war for your kids and it's not through social media, this, I'm actually, it's through fear. What will you and I do? When everything, how am I gonna look after my kids? This economy, education, what am I gonna do? How am I gonna help them? Thank you for your cross, thank you for your blood. And if we put that in our kids, let me tell you, the blood of Jesus is more than enough to sustain them, to hold them, to propel them, to free them. But we as a people go, what are the T's and C's? What else do I need to do? Paint the doors with the blood. Paint the doors of blood over your health, over your future, over your economics, over your trust in God. Paint it over your sin, your failures, your shortcomings, where you cannot anymore. Paint the doorposts of your life with the blood. What an amazing, amazing word. If you would like to find out about what's happening in the life of the church, why don't you follow us on our social media, Instagram or Facebook, or you can go into our website, lifechanges.org.za. Thank you so much for watching that video. Be blessed.